another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dera, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. This is your vital essence on the Dark Crystal. I'm your host, Philip, and I want to say thank you so much for tuning in as we got a very special guest for this episode of Trial by Stone to give an introduction for this guest, Neil Sterenberg, who is the uh, the puppeteer behind uh, many characters, including Rian and Skekok, the scroll keeper, just to name a few. Um, but to give sort of his um, biography for over 20 years, Neil Sterenberg has been producing puppets and puppetry for the UK television, commercial and film industry. He has had a hand involved in either making or performing many of the UK's well-loved TV puppets. He loves his job and the diversity of the characters he's performed. On one day he might on one day he might be a talking biscuit, a very dull Furchester hotel guest, a speedy runner bean and the next, an alpaca who's afraid of heights. More recently, however, his work can be seen as various creatures and droids in the latest Star Wars movies and is proud to be the performer behind Rian and Skekok, the Scroll Keeper, in Netflix's The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So, Neil, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, that's all right, Phil. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's it's just great to um to you know to actually you know interview. I mean yourself, you know, as one of the main lead uh, puppeteers behind um the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. How's this past like month and a bit been for you? You know, since the show's been coming out, and and you know all the hard work that you've been working on the show for almost like a good year before year or so. Like, how's it been for yourself just seeing the, the reactions or, you know, your thoughts or anything with the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance? It, I mean, it was such a mammoth task when we made it, nearly 11 months of very, very hard filming. And the one thing about when we were doing the Dark Crystal is it was packed full of surrealness, uh, exhaustion. It was It was this strange show and there were like these revelations of things that would happen and you go, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe we're doing that. Oh, we've done this. So, and you think that that would end when we shot it. We thought, well, it no longer hold any more surprises for me now. This is, this is, that was the dark crystal. That was incredible. Wow. I was thrown into a whirlwind and came out the other end alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you think that that's, that's the last that you will have of that sort of experience. And the show kind of all went to bed as they started editing and it all started to enter quiet and you start to gather your thoughts about it all. And then it starts to become weird again. People start talking about it in the outside world and you start to hear it and you start to see it on your social media. And and then it just starts to whip up this weirdness again. And what people post on social media and what you see and the pictures and people talking about things that you were involved in. It's very much like suddenly that your weird day at the office is suddenly being talked about 
by lots and lots of people and people are very kind and uh, they they love the show which is fantastic and it also amazes me in the day that we live in now that all that 11 months of hard work is consumed within 10 hours <laughs> yeah i know and, yeah 10 hours, it's gone <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely yeah i know like i must admit like even when i watched the show like over the weekend and i think i watched it within pretty much two days it, it was a lot to to take in actually like you know watching it for the first time so but i mean being watching it you know multiple times has, has been just just as enjoyable as seeing it the first time yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to see there's a lot to take in and it blows your mind when you and inevitably we all want to watch the next episode you're, you're lured in oh what happens can i resist the temptation of watching another one no i can't resist yeah I watch another I know, can uh, you know, hold off waiting and just another day to watch the next episode, but yeah. <laughs> I'll stay up another hour. Oh, yeah. no, no. <laughs> So, I mean, I mean, like you said that, I mean, this show was pretty much, I mean, unlike any other puppet production um, for yourself. I, I, I guess we'll, we'll just chat about like, like how did you get into, um, into puppetry? Like, I mean, I mean, for example, I mean, how did you discover uh, The Dark Crystal, the original film that started it all? Ah, well, uh, I suppose the two are kind of intertwined. I, I've struggled to remember when I first watched The Dark Crystal. I can't remember whether my parents took me to the cinema or whether it would have been on uh, hiring the video from the video shop. I can't remember. But as a small child, I was deeply influenced by, obviously, the work of Jim Henson and his company and the, the performers that surrounded him and the Muppet Show was a big influence. As I slightly got older, Fraggle Rock was a huge influence on me. I loved the world building. I loved the fantastic characters, all the different, every character was different, you know, within Fraggle Rock and the beautiful humor within the Muppet show and the lovely sentiment behind it all, behind the silliness too. And Dark Crystal was all intertwined, obviously, in, in all of that. But there was something about Dark Crystal that just was spellbinding. The, the whole world, the whole creation of that environment and the creatures within it, the intertwinedness of them, and just the absolute beauty of it. I mean, it is a work of art. It's a stunning piece of puppetry, and it was like nothing else. So as a small child, I was completely hooked into that, and the film has never really left me, and I would say it was one of the big influences along with all the Muppet and Henson stuff that was happening, that made me want to do it as a career. And I remember probably about the age of eight-ish, you can buy this clay that you mould like plasticine, and then you put it in the oven and you bake it and making tiny little skexes, tie-dyeing all the fabric and making these little models because you couldn't get them. So, And just all that work sort of created. And I think what drove me was trying to, there's part of me that wanted to emulate that. There's part of me that wanted to understand how all that was done. So that started off my mind thinking about pop, and that's what pulled me into pop. It's the cleverness of it and the the illusion and the tricks of it. Then drove me to want to be a puppeteer and uh, a puppet maker. So the two are all sort of intertwined in this mush. My hobby that I love and was my inspiration to my creativity. Strangely, now on the other side of the dark crystal. <laughs> In this incredible journey from the influence to being part of something that put you there in the first place it's mind-boggling really i mean for yourself i mean it must have been i guess like just pretty much like a full circle kind of journey that you've had you know from 
from the early days of watching Dark Crystal, you know, the Jim Henson productions, and then sort of, you know, going from there to, you know, where you are, you know, with being involved in, in the Dark Crystal in, yeah. in that way. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't get my head around it still now. And even more, when we did it, it was so intense and it was almost like a, a it almost feels like a bubble now. Like, it's like, now I'm on the other side of it, looking back on it retrospectively. It's, uh, I still can't believe it. I still can't understand it. I don't know how I got to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honoured and humbled that I was. It was just, it was, it's, I always think that you put, try to put back what you got out of, as a child, what influenced you and what fed your spirit. You want to put back in your adult life you know, people, doctors, nurses, uh, artists, I think there's something that you want to put back that inspiration, not whether it's a deliberate conscious thought, but I think if within your heart that's what you want to do, you want to give back. It's like a nurturing part of being a human being, I think. And, um, you know, it's been my privilege to do this. This influenced me and it's in the position where I can hopefully put something back. And uh, that's a great privilege in life, uh making just a big contribution, I mean, to Dark Crystal. With, with your many characters that you perform, you know, as Rian and Skekok and, and Tavra and also Grunach number two. So uh, <laughs> I love that the Grunachs don't have a name. They're just, you know, Grunach one or two. It's, yeah. <laughs> There's only two of them. So really, yes, you yeah. think between them, come up with names. <laughs> <laughs> you be one and I'll be two. Yeah. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, just so sorry. I mean, it just made me think of like the bananas and pajamas. Um, I don't know if you if you ever had those. Um, oh, I so, yeah, yeah, yeah. With B one and B two, you know, G one and G two. <laughs> um, yeah. Such creative. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you know you've been doing puppeteering for such a long time, and which sort of led you know into with the Dark Crystal Age of uh, Resistance. I mean, how did it came about, like, when you first got involved? Was it an audition process or, like, how how did it all went down for, for yourself? Uh, I'd heard rumours that uh, Dark Crystal might be happening, uh, which was a big surprise to me. I was like, oh, really? Dark Crystal? Wow, that's interesting. And then I heard it was possibly going to be shot in the UK. I was like, oh, okay. that, well, I'd like to be part of that if that happened. Oh, yeah, that'd be sounds really interesting. Yeah, keep me posted. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we got uh, a, f- I can't remember if it was email or a phone call, saying we're, we're holding auditions, uh, we're seeing every puppeteer and we'd like you to come. Da, 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 da. Okay, yes, I'll come along to your audition. And my sort of uh, preconception was I thought, well, because often what happens when they do the Muppet films is that uh, a lot of uh, the American cast will come over and the British puppeteers help support those and provide assistant roles. And, uh, you know, we're very much second fiddle uh, to the main players, obviously. And I'd never worked for Henson's up to this point. I'd uh, When I started early on in my career, I, I tried to get work at the Jim Henson Company because I used to have the Creature Shop in London and I used to go and visit. And, um, but it never happened. I never worked for them. So I thought, well, they don't know me. I'm, but it's lovely to go along and, yeah, I'll, we'll probably get to play some background characters maybe or, you know, we'll be doing handwork and assisting. And I thought, well, that's fine. And I thought it's very kind of them to humour us. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and anyway, we turned up at the audition and there was script left for us because we didn't know anything before we went in. 
And uh, I thought, oh, these are like character parts. Well, that's very kind of them to, you know, but uh, I don't think for a minute I'll be doing this. But uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll read this. I'll do this for you. And I was that nervous because I'd never met Lisa Henson before and Kevin Clash was there. And uh, so I was, I mean, I feel nervous now talking about it. I was like a bag of nerves. <laughs> anyway, I was, uh, I performed, I auditioned for Rian and the, uh, the Chamberlain and there were set pieces that I think they had everybody do. Anyway, it all seemed to go well. And they said, oh, well, well we'd like you to come back tomorrow. Would you like care to come back tomorrow? And I'm like, yes yeah, yes of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well actually i've got a hair appointment um, yeah but... <laughs> got something else going but... on <laughs> yeah. so uh so i turned up the next day and that was a little bit more narrowed down in puppeteer terms and uh and then we had an, uh, another day where we were all together they'd whittled it down to a, a smaller group and we all played and exchanged roles and tried different characters against other characters. And then that was it. We didn't hear anything for a long time. And uh, that was the audition process. And I just sat there thinking, well, that was very nice. <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, back then, even with the auditions, like they, um, you know, you had scripts or they had written up stuff for, for characters. So when you went in, like, did you, I mean, of course, you probably instantly recognised that, you know, this was going to be some Dark Crystal project at, at the time, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I had mock-ups of some of the puppets for us to audition with. They weren't finished. Uh, they weren't painted or anything. They were, so it was quite a leap of imagination to see how they would finally look. But you got an idea. You got that that was a Gelfling and they had a mock-up of the Chamberlain that, with a loose sort of costume on it. So it was enough to feed your imagination. But I mean, reading the script for the audition, you you did suddenly dawn on you, you went, uh, oh, uh, yeah, this is quite serious. This is quite wordy, quite serious, quite, because it was a heated, I think the scene was the scene where Rian's with his father in Stone in the Wood, where he's trying to convince his father of, I think it was, don't quote me on it, but um, so quite an intense scene that they chose for the audition. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so whether that was, yeah, probably, yeah, like a draft from, uh, I guess, from uh, episode episode three. Um, yeah, you know, the show. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's really, yeah, that's really interesting, yeah. And so I guess once you got the call that we definitely want you in for the show, like, and, <laughs> and all the, you know, these characters that you were going to play, like, what was, what was running through your head at, at that time, yeah. <laughs> Well, it had, we'd had this very long period of time where we knew nothing. Nothing was coming from hence. The shoot was getting closer. So we were a little like, well, well, well what is happening? And uh, anyway, I was working on a film at the time and I was working away from home and I was uh, sat in my hotel room one evening and the phone went and it was uh, our puppet coordinators. And they said, are you sitting down? Yeah. <laughs> sort of feeling and I was like yeah 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 well we're, we're phoning to tell you uh, uh what part you have oh okay and they went uh so you're going to be playing Rian yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and such skexis now I I didn't hear anything past the word Rian because I went oh that's like one of the main roles <laughs> yeah yeah and and I thought well that's kind of I know it, 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 Rian isn't Jen but I went well, he's kind of the Jim Henson role within this new thing. And I could not get my... 
breath. I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't compute. A, that I was playing a role in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> B, that it should be this quite iconic uh, role that you compare it with Jen. And uh, I didn't really sleep that night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember. And I couldn't remember the Skeksis, they said. I, and I remember, I thought, oh, and I really wanted to play a Skeksis. That was the, I can get to play a Skeksis because I just thought they were fabulous characters. I thought, oh, well, if I mean, that would be the dream to play a Skeksis. But I couldn't remember the Skeksis they said. All I could do was just Rian, and I'm, I couldn't compute it. I just couldn't. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a very overwhelming that, yeah, you know, once you heard Rian and then, yeah, just yeah. nothing else. And then I, I guess probably must have taken a bit of time when they're like, oh, well, you're also going to be performing a, a Skeksis. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably just it an just extra re- bonus, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was like yeah. Oh, but it just—it's like it's like having your cake and a big dollop of icing on top. And uh, but yeah, I sort of sit there because I was on my own. I had no, and we weren't allowed to discuss it because obviously for confidentiality, I probably shouldn't be telling. You now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you'd sit there and then you'd go, you sort of go, oh yeah, okay then, okay, yeah, I'm playing Rian. I'm playing Rian. <gasps> I'm playing Rian. <laughs> it was like this circle of really no, okay. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not being able to discuss it was very, you know, it doesn't help you contextualise it or work it out in your mind. So, yeah, it was um, a bizarre, surreal moment of which there were many <laughs> from that time. <laughs> uh, and, and, I mean, they, they really kept the secret pretty, pretty, pretty good, actually. I mean, you know, when they announced it in, in what, May in 2017, and, of course, I mean, you would have had the auditions probably, you know, prior to that and, um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, that was just such a, a, just, I was just shocked and amazed and just, <laughs> wow, Dark Crystal is coming back. And um, yeah, it was just like, well, wow. I think it's like Christmas. It's like Christmas, isn't it? In the fact that why would you want to spoil that joy on the child, you know, your child's face in the, on Christmas morning by them already knowing what's in the paper, you know? And, and I think we all out of respect for the, the film, and then for the fans and for the future audience, it was like, why would you want to spoil that beautiful moment? And we had, you know, we had a lot of people visit set and I was always amazed that nothing got leaked. And I think it was just out of that respect for the show uh, that people, no, we want to keep this watertight. We don't want anyone to know that it'd be a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the one thing. Like, it, it was just, you know, nothing got leaked out or anything like that. So it was just... I mean, kudos to Jim Henson Company. I guess, you know, everyone who auditioned and, you know, everyone that sort of kept their lips sealed, I guess, during that time. <laughs> we were all like Grunachs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're stitched up. And <laughs> yeah, what they don't tell you is all our mouths were stitched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, I mean, once you sort of, you know, heard that you got on you know, the roles and stuff. I mean, I guess the next step was, I guess, doing like, um, I mean, a lot of rehearsals, I guess. I mean, how, how intensive was it to, you know, I mean, working, like having all the puppeteers, you know, working together and, and you know, trying to work out with, you know, during rehearsals, like, um, you know, with the Gelflings and Skeksis and how it was all going to work, like throughout the filming of the show? We initially had the scripts come through. It's a big pile. <laughs> yeah, especially for 10 episodes, yeah. 
wow, that's a lot of paper. So uh, uh, we we had all read that sort of before we turned up and we had a three week uh, rehearsal period. And within that period was the time also, so we would we read through, we were introduced to the puppets that we knew we'd been cast as. And then there were some parts that weren't quite cemented. We didn't quite know who was, so we it was almost like a second audition oh, where really we would work. Yeah, we workshop uh, other characters, and uh, they sort of got divvied between the twelve core uh, puppeteers, and uh, and it was a time because all the puppets were made in America, so they'd all been brought over to the UK, and it was a case of tweaking those, getting used to the animatronics in them, testing everything out, making sure they were comfortable. I had one version of Rian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they weren't very happy with his face. They were happy with it, but they wanted to make some changes. Uh, so uh, I had a, a rough Rian to work with for some time. So it was getting used to all of that stuff. And we would do scenes on camera and we'd work with Louis and Lisa, finding those characters. And uh, yeah, so it was a bit of a workshoppy, rehearsy, camera testy kind of time and sort of getting aware of the enormity of what we were about to take on. I mean, there was a, there's a trip, there was a trepidation in the air that, you know, this would be quite a thing to pull off, but we were all full of enthusiasm. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess like, you know, with a lot of puppet productions that, you know, most cameras are all either pretty static or, you know, very little, little to no movement. So I guess, you know, coming in, you know, with age resistance and, I guess probably once you heard of it, I guess, you know, how they were going, you know, to move the camera a lot and shots, how, how much incredibly challenging was sort of, you know, the challenges behind trying to hide yourself, you know, out of shots or and all oh. that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, the rehearsal period, like we were just saying, that was, that's all very well. It was very static. We were just sort of rehearsing in front of one camera with monitors Nothing could you prepare you for the baptism of fire that was uh, two moving cameras. The first day was like no other working day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, I think it was a baptism of fire for everybody. Because, and we decided that it was going to be a simple scene. So the first scene that you see, the two podlings coming into the corridor with Rian and Mira, stealing the fruit from the trolley. That is the thing we did on the, the, the very first day. It was a learning curve for everybody. I mean, we were experienced puppeteers, but most of the core cast have got like 20 years puppeteering experience under their belt. So we weren't novices, but it felt like your first day. And we had notes from everywhere, working out monitors, the heights of us puppeteers, to the heights of puppets in relation to the other puppets, the two cameras, being able to see monitors. I mean, everybody just finding their feet and we were in the little part of the corridor in the castle and the one over overwhelming thing I can remember is just the noise the noise of a whole field crew just trying to find their feet and it was just organized chaos <laughs> yeah so so I mean I guess it was very like you know for yourself and a lot of puppeteers you know sort of re I mean learning new things or relearning you know, everything you've learned, you know, from over the 20 years and, and with age resistance, it was sort of like a, just a yeah massive change in the way you would puppeteer, I guess. Yeah. Nothing could, nothing could, all that 20 years, very little of that could have prepared you for what the Dark Crystal was. It gave you an instinct, which uh, is wonderful, but Louis and Eric changed the whole 
dynamic nature of it all and brought this lovely movement to it, which is wonderful. And when you watch it, it's fantastic. But when you're a puppeteer and you're used to working like the original film, it's usually quite static, quite theatrical, quite storytelling, uh, simple storytelling, which is lovely. But the, the guy has just mixed it up and changed it. And we all got used to it. It's just mind-blowing because you get so used to watching, we're so used to watching one monitor and then you'd look and you go, there's another camera there and you catch yourself in the other shot and then you would readjust because uh, puppets are so specific with their eye lines and you dress to one camera. And then suddenly to notice there's another camera there, you go, oh, well, what, what did I look like on that camera? Was I right? Was I wrong? So you're constantly not only trying to deliver the performance, but you're evaluating whether it, it's working on both shots. So it's like your mind's almost already in two places. It's like in a first, fourth, third and fourth place. So it's uh, quite a lot to get your head around. <laughs> and I guess, like, was that something, like, I guess during filming, like, you, you know, you'd have access to be able to, like, play back, you know, all the all the different takes just to, just to see how, how you went? They, we did have sometimes have playback, and you could easily go um, and watch a monitor. I mean, the thing was, it was so intense, and there was... Luke says, I've heard him say, like, every shot was a headache. Every shot there was something to work out. And he's not wrong. I mean, everything was a technical, physical riddle, every shot. Just simple. And especially when you're tied into a set and you're locked in, in or you're through a hole or you're, you know, it was very hard to go out and watch things. But, we, you know, we could go and watch things and reevaluate. But sometimes it was almost... we. Uh, just didn't have the time and you just got to keep pushing through the yeah, day it, yeah and almost it was too hard psychologically to separate yourself from what you've done that day uh, uh you because it was all so in the moment what we were doing and you know uh, it was all heightened um senses so to then sit back and just watch it in the cold light of day where you're just looking at it it was actually quite hard to flip your brain into just viewing it it's very hard just to view it and even now when you watch the series back it's very hard to remove yourself from it. So watch it, you'll go, oh, I remember that day that happened, and oh, and that was where we had to do that. Oh, and that looks a bit, I look uncomfortable there. You can't see I look uncomfortable, but I know head that that's uncomfortable, and I remember I was against a piece of set, or that was a very hard walk to come through there. That So you can never remove yourself from it. You can never just watch it. Yeah, I tended not to watch much playback. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, no. no I just be, yeah, just uh, curious, I mean, I guess you know how pretty much every every day was just a challenge to to get through. I mean, what was like one of the most sort of challenging scenes, you know, the the, the shot like for your roles in with Age of Resistance? There were so many things that we did that brought their own unique sort of difficulty to them or intensity. When you were playing emotional scenes, there was the whole emotion and the acting you had to bring to it. And with Rian, he I almost felt like there was two gears of performance. There was the emotional stuff, the intense stuff, and then there was the physical stuff. So there would be, you know, the sword play and the stunts and the dropping down a rope. So, but with Rian, I... The most sort of intense sort of scene that I remember is the scene where he goes to Mordrafara to explain what's happened and she doesn't believe him and uh, his father comes in and he, who he hopes he's going to believe him and he doesn't. That was a very intense scene. And it, uh, on a personal level, 
uh, that scene was also intense because it was the Dave Gold to me is a, a god amongst puppeteers, and I'd never met him and uh, never thought I'd ever work with him. And he was playing Buffy at the, the first of- gig, yeah, yeah. Which, of course, I mean, uh, for any of the listeners, uh, that Dave Gold's, I mean, he's one of the legend um, puppeteers, like from you know, from the Muppets. And uh, but also, I mean, with the Dark Crystal, he uh, performed uh, Fizz Gig uh, with the original movie. So it's kind of cool to actually, yeah, see, you know, to hear heard from him, you know, repri- reprising, you know, doing a fizz, uh, puppeteering yeah. a Fizz Gig, yeah. <laughs> and the Garthin Master. I mean, everybody remembers the Chamber because of his, mm. and the Chamber was a fantastic role. But the Garthin Master really was the main Skeksis. I mean, he becomes the Emperor, and he's got a lot of the lines. So really, he's the main Skeksis in the film. So. So to be working next to Dave Goals was just, so I remember feeling, it was one of the days where I actually felt physically sick because there was all lines to remember, the emotional aspect of the scene, and it was all day. And three foot away from me was Dave Goals and uh, the lovely Louise Gold. And I go, well, I'm working now amongst people who uh, inspired me. And how do you do that? And it's this big, intense scene which then goes on to be incredibly physical in the sense that you know the sword fighting he goes and he chops the shit so it was it was an ordinary (laughs) (laughs) the office for rian it was um and that was a big and i'm very proud of how that scene's come out there's a real emotion uh and intensity to it but when i watch it it's also a very precious uh memory to me because that was a, a true highlight of of my career so far it was very special very yeah. special indeed yeah i mean it, it was such a great scene i mean i actually remember watching the the, the trailer and seeing that shot of rian you know cutting the rope and and you know flying up you know with the rope you know up you know escaping uh the stone in the wood and um i remember just being blown away <laughs> by that shot it was just um in, in the, just one of the incredible moments um in the show but yeah i can yeah definitely um i mean the intensity of just the yeah the dramaticness of that scene with with him and, and Mordra farrah and and then with um his his father um coming along in the scene and um yeah i could definitely yeah that's just just su- such a one of the many moments like from the show yeah it's one of those twist and turn scenes where you think it's one thing and it twists and she doesn't believe him. And then his father doesn't believe him. The one person who he feels he can turn to, he doesn't believe him. So he, he's, he's literally then surrounded and on his own. He is standing on it. Uh, it's a real, and when I watch it, it goes really quick. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, and I remember when we filmed it, there was very much a, an air in the room and it was exhausting because I had my arm up all day trying to do this uh, very intense stuff. And uh, there'd just be times where I had to say, oh, can I just put my arm down for five minutes? But normally there's a bit of banter in between, uh, you know, when someone's resting or something like that. But it was very, there was, a, there was a hush in the room, like, oh, this is a, quite an intense. And it was like, I was like, oh, for God's sake, someone make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to lighten the mood, yeah. <laughs> You know, and uh, and I think Dave, I don't know what he must have felt, but coming in on a day like that, which was such a uh, a big emotional day, must have been. Uh, and he was very sweet, and we had a non- very nice conversation after. So it was a, it was a very special day, very special day for me. Yeah, wow. And um, I, I guess like 
I mean, per- performing like um, I might as well talk about you know with performing you know with Rian and 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 as a golfling, and I guess I also be curious you know to chat about like I mean I you know because you perform as a golfling you know, with Rian and of course the Skekok, uh, the Skeksis, was it challenging to you know balance between the two roles? I mean, obviously they didn't they weren't like in the same scenes together, so you sort of had you know you sort of had that um, flexibility you know to be able to do those two roles, you know, based on, you know, with the shooting schedule and, and whatnot. But what was sort of like the, I mean, the differences between, you know, performing, you know, Gelfling versus performing as a Skeksis for the show? It's wonderful because they're two very different things. So the, on a performer level, in your mind, Rian is very much more um, intense. It's more controlled. It's more emotional. Um his character, it, 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 I find him quite sensitive to. Uh, he's the hero, so that's very much a one sort of character. And then, brilliantly for your creative mind, the sketches then are so bad. Uh, wonderful. It's like I get to play, not only do I get to play the hero role, then I get to play a villain. Yes, yeah. And <laughs> I think any actor will tell you that the joy of playing a villain or a baddie it's a wonderful uh, thing to do. Uh, not, I mean, um, to get to play the hero is wonderful, but with a, a baddie, you have, there's a lot more meat on your bone to bite into. And uh, uh, <laughs> so it was very nice to have the two sides of your brain uh, stimulated by the two characters. And it was nice that they were so different because they've got, they've got different heartbeats, different pulses and uh, different motivations. So you get to explore not only their character, but your character within those. With, I suppose within all of us, there's a, bit, a goodie and a baddie on each shoulder, and you get to bring those out, and you get to play with those toys. And um, But physically, they couldn't be really more different, as I think about it. As a girl thing, you, uh, they are obviously a lot smaller. They're still heavy. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're smaller so you are you ha- you have your own physical presence when you're working with the gelfling so you hold them uh, above your head but when you bring them down you're still in your own world uh, you're a monster set you can see your fellow puppeteers you can communicate easily with your assistants and uh, your, your your colleagues who you're acting with um, so you have your own physical nature and you've got your peripheral vision which you rely so much on on a puppeteer. I think as a puppeteer, when you're performing, you do so much through your peripheral vision because you're watching two monitors. You can't just watch one monitor. You've got yeah, to watch you have two. Have to watch two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a third, and then when you're di- say handling props, and you have to be aware of your physical presence on the set, so how close you are to your fellow performers, and how you all logistically fit into that jigsaw is so much easier when you're a gelfling. When you are a skexis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The peripheral vision goes. You are enclosed in a duvet. It's like it's like performing your bed as a yeah, kid. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Exactly. The duvet, uh, and so you you no longer have your peripheral vision. You no longer communicate well with the outside world because we used to have uh, an earpiece in where you would be fed uh, your fellow performers' dialogue. And you'd also have the the an open talk back to your team, so the people who'd be doing your eyes. Not only then are you in a bed in the dark with no peripheral vision, you also then have someone shoved up your armpit. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so and, and, then, and, and they're like performing the other arm because I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. you, cause you're in, you're in the body and then you use, yeah. do you, are you, are you left or right-handed at it? Like I'm right-handed. You're right-handed. Right -handed, yeah. See, yeah, yeah. So your right hand, you know, to do the, the head, but then you have the someone head. underneath your armpit. Doing the right arm. Doing the right arm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the left arm. Yeah. Cause you do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're right-handed. You have yeah. right hand on the head. Uh, yeah. The left hand, you know, doing the left hand of this kick season. Yeah. 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 And so, and when you see that carob, carob, I can't remember to say the word, <laughs> the carapace, <laughs> is that the word? <laughs> yeah, 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 the, 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 On the back of the sketches, that's roughly where your head is. So that's roughly where the puppeteer's head is. So, and then the first thing that gets you is the heat. Yes. Yeah. When you first the sketches, they're quite cool, but then you've got two people's body heat underneath the two duvet thing. So suddenly there just becomes a point where you get hot and from that point on they do not cool down and they retain the heat. And the number of times you'd be performing and the sweat would be dripping off your face and I have to wear glasses and then water would drip into your glasses and then it would drip off your glasses that would then fall off your face onto the monitor, <laughs> which you then sweat off. And you might have to kind of say to your assistant, can you wipe the sweat off the monitor? <laughs> And then you've also got your acting to do. You've got the dialogue to think about. You've got to watch your two cameras. And then also within the sketches, we had a third camera, which used to be often mounted high in the set. So you could physically see yourself. Yes, yeah, so a bird's eye view, I guess. Of, a bird's yeah, eye yeah, view, yeah. indeed. Because as a sketches, as I say, you have no peripheral vision. You can't just look to your left and go, oh, well, they're there. So if I step back a little bit, that look, you, you, you only have the two shots that you can see and when you work to a monitor, a monitor is a 2D image. You, as a, you lose all sense of depth. So any property will tell you when they're handling a prop or anything like that, it's very hard to do just looking at the monitor because you've got no depth of field. So you might think you're reaching for it, yeah. <laughs> but three inches away from it in reality. So you have to glance in the real world just to double check that you're going to hit your mark. You can't do that in the sketches. So that's why the God camera was so important. But it would fry your brain. It would. It fried my brain. It, I think it fried the others. To then suddenly you have to, with all of that, then plot your geography on another monitor. And just the communication thing became very hard when you had a lot of sound. And the other thing that made the sketches difficult was uh, when we got hot, they would bring in fans to cool mm. us down. Yeah, for each. So yeah. You could take and the, the lovely dresses that look after you suddenly the costume would be fling flung open at the side. Yeah. <laughs> Blasted, and then you'd hear on your sound sound your earpiece all the other fans coming on multiply at the same time with your other sexes. So it was like this whirlwind. But then with the Gelfing, you did always have like a wind machine following you. Like Rian, uh, I know like these famous stars often have a light that follows them. Rian had a wind machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly followed yeah. him. So you always have the sound of a fan on set. But yeah, there were very two different types of and the the, the golfing puppeteering is um from a very more subtle palette obviously the critique of the one of the things about the original film was the realistic nature of the golfing and whether that was successful or not so we were left with that legacy with our golfing and it was a very subtle palette that we had to hit whereas with the skexis they are they are the villains they can be slightly more they can be slightly more evil. They can be slightly more what we're used to seeing the puppets do well, and that's over-accentuated performance and fantastic characters. 
was sort of like the final episode, you know, the whole battle with the Skeksis versus the Gelfling, was that probably like the most challenging, um, like, like scenes to shoot, like as a Skeksis um, for the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, we had the armor. That was the first thing. So the armor increased the weight. The Skeksis were heavy. They were, they were heavy beasts, hot beasts. Uh, and we shot that during the summer. So we, it was very hot on set. So there was the heat to contend with. But also they had the armour, which increased the weight of the Skeksis by a fair old whack. So that made it more challenging. And then the other thing that was also challenging is we <laughs> there was lots of sticky out bits on that armour. And as fantastic as it looked, and it did look fantastic, uh, we'd often get stuck to each other. Because <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> the moment you turn, suddenly you're turning circle. It's not just you, it's three or four foot of armour behind you that's got lots of spiky bits with lots of soft, lacy costumes. So we'd often get tangled within each other. And, of course, there was a lot of us on set at the time. Uh, so that's when, when once there's more than four or five Skeksis on set and it becomes a big feat of just people uh, management. And, of course, we had all the explosions, all the and they were... They got through bags and bags and bags of soil that used to go into these things. So you'd be full, <laughs> and there'd be all these explosions going off, boom, bang, and all this stuff would fall rain down on you, and uh, and you've got to remember your lines again, and you've got to move, and uh, oh, I mean, yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> yeah, because I was just thinking just about like the battle scenes, and I mean. I guess because you're playing both roles, uh, you know, Skekok and then Rian, um, that, you know, they're, they're both, I mean, they're sort of, you know, in the same location. Um, so, like, did you just, like, would you just, like, spend, like, sort of, like, days as, as you know, as a Skeksis and then sort of, and then do the next following days, like, as Rian to, to perform, like, the yeah. rest of those scenes? Or, or was it actually a constant, yeah, yeah. A juggle. Um we'd turn around and we'd do one side of the battle. So we'd have stand-ins do, like the shots where you see uh, over the Gelfling's shoulders looking at the Skeksis, uh, I would be in the scroll keeper then and someone would be standing in for Rian and the other Gelfling there because obviously the main, so there'd be Alice and uh, Ollie and Dave and uh, Warwick who obviously were playing Gelfling on the other side of the battle on yeah, Kevin. So. So we'd have stand-ins then and then we would be in the Skeksis and then it would swap. So we'd spend a couple of days looking that way, a couple of days looking the other way. And and I mean, I'd have to say like one of the, one of the funny moments, of course, I mean, this was recently on, on with the, the bloopers of the Dark Souls yeah. Age of Resistance. And I think there was one moment where I take where, you know, you had the, you had the dual glaive and you're going to put it in to, into the, the blue flame and then it, it snapped off and... <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't in any prophecy, was it? Uh, no. Did you <laughs> <snap>? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, well, uh, about this battle, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I've only got one half. Well, I've got one and a half bits of it, but I've got all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, not as robust as you thought it no. was. The jewel. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel bad. I did feel bad because yeah. someone spent a lot making that thing. But there were multiple. Of course, uh, jewel yes, yeah, yeah. There wasn't just one. No, uh, but yeah, I, I did feel bad briefly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just uh, just for that little moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretended to feel positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst laughing internally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's. I mean, I mean that. I guess that's filmmaking. You know, just um, the things that you learn. You know, throughout the shoot, and you know, all these. You know, 
mistakes, but you know, of course, you know, the end result, we don't, we don't, you know, the audience, we, we don't see any of those, any of those things. So, no. and until um, they, until they release, until the blooper, they release right? the bloopers, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and expe- I mean, I, I sort of have to mention about, um, you know, the, that moment between you and Deke, you know, singing, um, you know, I, I guess a parody, I mean, with the Phantom of the Opera, I mean, that was such a, one of, one of my, oh favorite moments sort of thing just uh, go a little bit off topic for there for just a second <laughs> well, uh, we did i mean my uh although the age of resistance was incredibly intense and uh pressure like no other like no other puppetry or life experience you've ever had before we did have a lot of fun and I, i'm a very playful person i think <laughs> and you couldn't have got through that show if you weren't allowed to play. And Louis was also a very playful person and quite cheeky. So we did have a lot of fun, a lot of giggles amongst the tears. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did, yeah, I mean, we did yeah, yeah, amongst like all the hard work that, um, I mean, that, that everyone worked on the show. Um, I mean, you definitely got to have those like lighthearted moments just to, just to have fun as well. It's a chance to let off steam in a very precious release. I mean, I remember we were doing one scene and uh, it's where Redhead Paladin is telling the other golfing uh, about the, the dream fasting experience he's had with Rian and explaining about uh, Mira's death and who's responsible. And there was just something that day that was very funny and really, uh, as you would write it down, it wouldn't seem funny at all. But it was just like this wonderful release of, and we were crying, absolutely crying with laughter. And uh, I think it's because we were working so intense and there was so much pressure on everybody that the, 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 how we laughed was also equally as intense. Uh, and I remember we just cried and cried and cried and we didn't know whether we were going to get through it. And it was something so silly. It was, I think it was the pronunciation of a word and uh, it just was a trigger. And we were just, but they're very precious memories, you know, within the puppetry thing. It's, it's being with the people and uh, the core team are, we're, we're like a little family. We're like, uh, we're like people who have survived a battle and only we know what it was like to be in that battle. And we don't have to say much because we all went through it. And we had some wonderful assistant puppeteers who were so supportive. And uh, it was just a, it's just a lovely, precious time to be with those people and, uh, and go through that experience with everybody. And a lot of those people we've known a long time. So it's um, very precious, happy memories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, just a journey that you and, you and the puppeteers and all the crew just, you know, going through the whole year of shooting the show. And I mean, the end result was just, um, you know, just unlike anything. And I guess, you know, when, when you watched the show for the first time or a couple of times, like, was there particular like moments like from the show that, that I mean, at the time of filming, you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm curious how this is going to turn out. Um, you know, was there any moments where you're just like, you know, you're not too sure how it's turned out, but then when you saw it, you're just like, oh, wow, you know, that was something. <laughs> I think maybe the whole, it's hard to think of a bit or a moment, but I think the whole thing was slightly uh, a revelation. I mean, I was very fortunate, very fortunate to get to play 
uh, did the voice of the scroll keeper too. So I was aware of how Louis was cutting the show because we had chance to watch rough cuts of the show to sort of prepare us for the ADR. So I was aware of what was happening, but of course, then to see the final piece with all the spit and polish on it, I don't think nothing could you prepare you for how it turned out. I often feel at the time we kind of knew what Louis wanted. We trusted him. We knew it was hard work and we knew he was pushing us beyond where we would naturally want to be. But he, we knew he had a bigger vision than what we could see technically on that day. He had to, and I feel like we were his paint box. Like we didn't quite know what picture he was painting, but it was our duty to give him the best paint and that he got the best set, the best lighting that he could for him to tell this story. And we would not accept second best. We wanted to give what he needed, although it was killing us (laughs) (laughs) and killing him, I think. We didn't want him to be short. Mm -hmm. Of course, the constraints of time and budget all on our shoulders. I mean, I don't know how he coped with the pressure of that whole production on him and shooting all of that, but we did not want to let him down. So when you see, I mean, there'd be times where you spent a lot of time doing one thing and it hasn't made the cut, but you can't say, oh, well, that's not what How can you We're not in charge of that greater picture. And he's the man who has to tell that whole story. So you... He might not use all of the paint, but you've got to make sure that paint was there for him to use. So, you know, he's created, as the original film, another incredible, well, work of art. I mean, with Brian Froud, I mean, Brian Froud and Wendy and Toby and their work and the, the set design and uh, what Eric, the lighting that Eric gave, the, the, the character design. I mean, you what wonderful paints to work with. I mean... It's, it's a gift. It's a it's a creative person's gift. And what's wonderful now is to see, when I glance on social media, and all the art that is being inspired. And I, I've thought a lot about that, going back to our previous conversation about um, myself being inspired by the Dark Crystal. And you see this new wave of inspiration. And I go, well, what's special about the Dark Crystal? Because that world is manufactured and made and created and nothing exists without it being made. It's not like a normal film with actors in. Yeah, and I guess like the whole, you know, world building, I mean, especially, you know, with the Dark Crystal, that everything had to be handmade, you know. There wasn't like you can just go, you can buy things, you know, from from prop department or, you know, everything had to be made from scratch. Everything is a minor work of art. And even the CG, I mean, we all... I think we don't tend to value CG as highly as we should, but even that is made especially for, and and like as I was saying, like a, a normal film you watch uh, actors, but the thing because that whole world is created, you can't. People want to replicate that in some way, I think, and I think that's what suddenly instills that artistic. You know, I've seen people drawing their own gelfling now, and people, it's because they wanted to replicate that. They want to be part of it, but they don't know. Whereas an actor, you can perhaps, you know, you could go and look to teach acting or you could learn acting or you could go to join a drama group or you could, uh, you know, but you can't do that with the Dark Crystal. The stars are made. They are made. So how do you suddenly make make something like that? Oh, and that might inspire some little mind out there. Oh, it's a puppet. Now, how do I make a puppet? And there begins that creative journey again. Uh, and that's wonderful. I love that. 
Yeah, and I, and I think like it's gonna be. I mean, really interesting. I mean, because with age resistance, I was sort of. I mean, really a big leap in in puppetry. Uh, you know the way that you know puppet productions can be filmed. It's gonna be interesting to see. You know where where it takes us. You know, saying you know in ten or or twenty years time, just what will be the you know the next level up. Um, yeah. In in the world of puppetry, yeah. It's a. It's very. I think it's very much a scale thing actually that is quite different. Really, when you think about the Gelfling and the Skeksis, it, as Lisa has said, it is really kind of old technology. There's not really much new that we've invented. It, it, it's the other side that is different. The fact that Louis used moving cameras and used two cameras. Uh, it, it's that storytelling and the scale. I mean, I think that's what's more different because, as Lisa says in the, the Crystal Calls, it, it you know, it there's nothing been of the scale since the original film, really. Since world building and that creation. So I think it's, will we see? And I, I think Dark Crystal really uh, owes a little bit to the new Star Wars films in the sense that uh, they wanted to, suddenly they wanted something more tangible rather than uh, three-dimensional, something. Everything physical has a presence. And I think there was a, a thirst for that. And I think that's what started with The Force Awakens, that people were brave enough to want physical creatures again. And I think uh, Dark, Dark Crystal has, owes a little bit to that renaissance. I don't think it quite would have happened without that initial tip from Star Wars that we want something more tangible. I guess very similar to what happened, I mean, of course, you know, with the original Star Wars, but also more so with The Empire Strikes Back and how... Of course, you know, Wendy Mardner and, and uh, Frank Oz, or, you know, Frank Oz puppeteered uh, Yoda and, and Wendy, you know, got involved with with making the molds of, of Yoda and sort of the success of that character for a lot of people that watched that, you know, with watching The Empire Strikes Back, that was sort of like a big, I guess, stepping stone that, well, you know, if now that we've got Yoda working, we can make a world, you know, almost full of Yodas, I think, as Frank Oz, I think, said in an interview many years ago, you know, just a world just full of puppets, um, no humans. And um, I think, you know, that was sort of, I guess, a stepping stone of, you know, okay, we can make Dark Crystal a reality. And again, sort of went full circle with a lot of puppeteers that worked on Dark Crystal ended up working on Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, in a way that, yeah, Force Awakens sort of enforced, or not enforced, but influence, I guess, you know, going back um, to practical effects, you know, with, pup with puppets and creatures and performances, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, I mean, that that's probably, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in a way, yeah, helped the, the Dark Crystal sort of come back in the big way that, that it has. I think so. I think the wonderful thing about Yoda and uh, it's such a fantastic, solid performance. And I think that's something that animation and CG is a performance and their work is incredible. I'm not saying that it's not, it's beautiful work, but to the speed they work at, I think a performance is a lot more thought about. It's almost like it's so microscopic. It's so it looked, it's looked at so closely, like every movement is orchestrated because of the speed of the process. Whereas with puppetry, there's something a little bit more, roar about it there's a little bit more of a an energy because it it happens in the moment and as well as them being physically there uh so not only do you have a physical presence of an of an object because let's face it they are just foam and fabric and 
resin and uh, synthetic hair and you, you know they are just an object but they are an object that is three-dimensional and therefore has an energy and then if you put a performance a raw visceral sort of puppetry <laughs> visceral energy into them that that performance is there of the moment and like I think I've heard uh, Louis say that you know everything goes up to that moment there's all that creation in the workshop the set and it's just this very fleeting, tangible moment where that all comes together and you just catch to that moment. And all of that's building up to that second where you just get that look from that one puppet, that interaction between these two objects, these two puppets, but you put human energy into it physically and you just get something. You just get a magic. Yeah, it just yeah, it just makes a, a big difference. And um, with yourself, like with... Um, We've moving the characters. I mean, I think that was one thing that you talked about in the documentary, the Crystal Coles, how that you you, you puppeteered Rian is that you, you always had him constantly moving, um, like in in each you know with shots or scenes that sort of thing. Um, so that was just something you put you know you put your stamp, I guess, like with, with Rian. Puppets are a, a, a trick. Uh, they are uh, an illusion in many ways. You are. Uh, they can't do all that we can, and uh, and I think the audience has to put has to put or do does put uh, quite a lot of themselves to what they see, and I think puppetry is very much like an ink blot in a folded page that you crease and you fold the page, you open it up, and I ask you what do you see, and you can only really provide that ink blot, and what your audience then takes from it is quite personal. Um, and so we Rian, you can, with the Gelfling, I suppose, you just have to give them a heartbeat and an energy and try and be as realistic as you can. And part of Rian was just, and with all puppets, is especially at this level of trying to create reality, a sense of reality, is to give them a weight and a gravity and uh, a breath. And, uh, and within that, as human beings, we rarely are still. Uh, and if a puppet is still, it suddenly looks quite dead. Uh, uh, you suddenly realise that it is quite lifeless. So within all your puppet characters and with all the puppets you ever do, you have to give them a sort of a tick or a heartbeat and uh, as a breath, as I say. And with Rian, I never sort of, I'd always have him sort of shifting his weight on his feet. Just a constant uh movement just so he was never still because i think as soon as he's still you, you i mean they're very beautiful to look at so i mean that's a blessing in themselves and the skeksis are beautiful to look at i mean you're fed with your eyes with them being still but uh you do and that but it doesn't have to be much it has to be very subtle and those lovely scenes that uh rian does with mira and uh deet and Gordon, uh, you know, those lovely moments that are very much slower and you get to really think about your movement and, and emotion and a, and a stillness without being still. It's it's lovely to get that kind of work because all the other puppet stuff I've done has been for children's television and that's a very much a different, a very different palette, you know, and uh, it's over-accentuated. It's everything is... Um, 
accentuate it, it's, it's, it's a supernatural, super real, overcompensating performance with the, uh, with, the ch- with children's television puppets. But where do you get to play a deaf? In your working day as a puppeteer, do you get to die? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, like with Tamara, I mean, uh, you know, the fact that she is stabbed and she is dying and she eventually dies. I mean, where do you get the, where have you played that before? Uh, you then have to rely so much on your acting instinct. But again, with Tamara, it's, uh, I tended to play my characters, uh, you know, bring that animation right down, let the audience put what they want upon it, give, give it a breath. And, Within the stillness of Tavra's performance, there's not an awful lot of movement, but there's just enough to guide you on that emotional, that journey. And if you watch the sound off, you'd still communicate that same motion. I think that's the test of good puppetry. It's a bit weird to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, if you turn the sound off and you w- just watch the physical storytelling, uh, and if the puppets can do that without sound, that is that is good stuff. And, uh, and it's funny, as puppeteers... Especially with children's characters, you litter your performance with noises. Like if you watch a puppet, they'll constantly be going, ah, yeah, mm, ah, yeah, mm. but you know, there's constant noise because it's a way of bringing your performance up with what you can't do physically, you kind of do with your voice. So for Dark Crystal, when we knew that that was not our, not going to be our thing, and we're going to have these very talented actors and actresses putting on, uh, the voice, it was like a, a thing taken out of our arsenal, really. So that's why it's quite nice when you do watch it and it does work and you you can see and you can relax in those, in that that lovely palette that you get, the Dark Crystal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a, such a one of the yeah, big moments from the show, like with the death of Tavra and, and her with, you know, with her sisters. It was, um, yeah, yeah, such a, such a great moment. Um, yeah, just a, yeah, yeah. Like it was a sad moment as well. Um, you know, with with the show, and um, and I guess like, you know, with, with puppetry, of course, like it, you were pretty involved in in the post production, uh, being able to uh, to voice um some characters, and uh, of course, one of which that you that you performed, uh, Skekok, the Scroll Keeper. You you actually got to to voice um the character. To get to do the Scroll Keeper's voice was a a real blessing. A real honour. I'm very humbled by it and uh, feel very privileged to do my own. It, it's one thing to puppeteer on the Dark Crystal, uh, but then to have the gift of being then able to do the voice. And with the Scroll Keeper, I mean, <laughs> I just enjoyed myself. So really, it was, I just thought, well, I'm getting, to, I'm getting to play this thing that I've always wanted to do. I never thought I'd ever do, but fate has so that I can, and I'm going to enjoy this. And uh, so really, I was entertaining myself when I was doing <laughs> him, just enjoying myself. I mean, yes. although it was incredibly hard work, I was... In, so the voice was just my... in What I thought he... Because in the film, he hardly speaks at all. You really don't get much number of what he is uh so i i kind of just did what i wanted to do and uh and i don't think i consciously thought about it too much i thought of a few ticks that i might do but it was just in part of my enjoyment and i thought oh this voice sort of as a puppeteer you always do when you get your puppet you look at the thing and you go well what does this thing sound like 
and of course there's an element of yourself within every character you do so what am i pulling out of my box to put into him and uh so i just enjoyed myself and then started to get a sense that it, it wasn't said outright to me but there was intonation that we do really like your voice and uh, but i knew what the deal was i wasn't expecting to play the scroll keeper and that that would have been by me and uh, but uh, after we wrapped and a few weeks in they said oh, well you know you will be speaking to you i thought oh. and uh, yeah so i got i was very lucky to do uh, the adr which you think would be a little more simple judging that there was no physicality <laughs> yes yeah but or everything with the dark crystal it was hard work <laughs> uh, you, you know you'd think replacing uh, your own dialogue would not be as hard as you think but it was hard and you would come out of the four hour sessions like, uh, like Mark Hamill has said and Jason Isaacs has said you know quite exhausted I mean I spent a whole day screaming as the scroll keeper just screaming <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, I mean, just doing different takes of screaming, you know, high pitch or you know, just just lots of I guess variations. Um, yeah. and, and, and I mean, this is all to, to benefit really. I mean, the, the editors um, to, to 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 pick the really good ones. But of course, I mean, you, you're doing it against you know, you know, you're watching this show and and you it's, it's sort of a lot of things I guess because you're making sure that you know your performance is in sync to what's what you're seeing on the video but also yeah yeah just so many different layers to it yeah it's it's interesting i mean they did, I, I remember before when we knew it was all going to be the voice was going to be re, re, replaced and in my experience i've seen it done well before i've seen it done badly before quite <laughs> a few times so i was very uh worried and hats off to Taran and everyone involved, they they did every breath. And what was reassuring for me, thank goodness, that when I went to do the ADR for myself, and you know, and I did a lot of ADR with Jeff Addis, uh, wonderful Jeff. Uh, but you'd go, oh, the scroll keeper just moves his mouth a little bit in that frame there. We just need a sound for there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> spend five minutes just do well what is that noise that he's doing there is that a air or a or a hmm what noise is that so when i saw the the love and the care and the detail again so not only the visual care but then there was the audio the care that we went into the suddenly i all my worry of that was dispelled and uh, when you see the final piece and you see all the voices in the right place, uh, it, it works so well. And of course, as the puppeteers, we did lock these uh, actors down, really, which is no easy feat for them because it's like acting with your hands in, uh, it's like trying to do sign language with her handcuffs on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and because again, like saying, watching the puppetry without the sound on. Obviously, that came before any of the ADR happened. So you are physically locked in, and all the puppeteers did, you know, the acting that you see. But then the actors have to come and emulate that, try and give a little bit more of their energy into it. But they are their hands are sort of tied into what we did. But they did a, a magnificent job. 
Uh, for us, it's a little strange when we see it without our voices. On first watch, you go, oh, that voice. Oh, okay. That you know, so oh, oh, I can't hear, say, Ollie, or I can't hear Dave, or I can't hear Helena. Oh, oh okay. Oh, oh, you know, so that, that was a little journey of adventure when we all watched it. <laughs> but yeah, fantastic job. The care was there. Yeah, I mean, it was just 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 an incredible show. It was just you know unlike any other show, and just just a lot of moments. I mean, for myself, I was just you know my mind was just blown away. It's um and so much happening within each episode of the show. Yeah, it was just such an incredible moment. You're just just watching it all, and I mean a big thanks to yourself and and a lot of the people who worked on the show. You know, for for making it all happen and just losing the suspension of disbelief and just going back to the world of Thra once again. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'm glad that it's people out there and enjoy it, and uh, they can see the work. And it really was the, the most humbling honour of my professional life to to do this, and and to just to have the opportunity to do what I did. Uh, it, it was a gift, and to have lovely feedback, and to know that it gives so much people a lot of happiness, and that people can get lost in that world that everybody. Can the hundreds of people created it's that's a real compliment to us all and it's uh received with a with a big heart absolutely yeah and um you know who, who knows you know fingers crossed for a season two if, if it happens so yeah we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens so again well, I the one thing about season two is season one we didn't know what we were letting ourselves in for yeah season two you'd be more prepared we yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to gird our loins for season two if yep. it happens yeah <laughs> oh, okay season two yeah <laughs> here we go again <laughs> salts now yeah. <laughs> yeah so neil i just want to say you know th again thank you so much for for your time for being on the show and chatting about your experiences working on on age of resistance and i guess you know how can the listeners you know find out more about your work or how how they can reach out to you uh, if they really want to find me, yeah. <laughs> I've just set, I've just set up a little Instagram uh, account, so uh, which is Neil Sterenberg Puppeteer. So if people just want to look in and uh, see anything I'm up to, I'll I will try and be good and uh, put pictures, and uh, people can reach out to me there if they want to. And there's a there's a, I'll, I'll try and put some nice things on there for people. But yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, on Instagram. <laughs> okay, and and of course, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and of course, like we'll put the link in the show notes. So if anyone wants to, to follow all your going ons with, with the world of puppetry and of course with Age of Resistance, they, yeah, they can do so. So again, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolute pleasure, Phil. Thank you very much for asking me. It's been great. Thank you. Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.